You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of July 25th. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a moderately warm Sunday evening is my friend and partner, Jim Allen. What's going on, man? I am... Okay, we're going to start right from the, the beginning, and I'm going to challenge your view of moderate. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like my take on it. Yeah, You know, I had this discussion today at the office, and one wrote intense heat, and I said, one man's intense heat might be another person's perfectly fine warm weather. So I agree with you, but I, okay. I don't think it's th- it's not that hot. It's not sweltering, and um, unless you have your air conditioner on and you're still sweating, uh, because I don't have any air conditioner going. I got a fan going, and that's about it. Oh, nice. It. I had so, to turn the air conditioning on because it was too hot when I was uh, working from home with all these computers going. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, again, I, I, we haven't talked about this in a while, but I'm so glad that you have been working from home on Sundays, and we've been able to record the show at a halfway decent hour. And uh, unfortunately, COVID-19 uh, a variant is just running rampant in Tokyo, in, throughout Japan as well, and we've got sky-high numbers, so looks like I might be doing some more work from home these days, which is probably yeah, best. I hope so, actually. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually hope to be increasing because, uh, yeah, coming home Friday night with so many people, you know, believing what the government said in May about you don't need to wear masks out outdoors. I thought that was ridiculous at the time. And I'm like, no, we're wearing our masks and yep. our family and yep. uh, tried to enforce that as much as possible. But Sure. But people, I, I think people see, you know, they they see, well, the government said, yeah, and this right. says, yeah, but the government also said there were, you know, 20,000 new infections in Japan yesterday. And there's going to be 30,000 within a week. So uh, because the spike's still increasing. The number of, you know, it's close to 50% of the people who are being tested are turning up positive. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, I actually at the office, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but at the office, someone talked about the fact, well, they're testing more now. And I'm like, because people are feeling ill now, you know, <laughs> don't, don't just think that the numbers are going up because they're testing more. And one of the things is that you owe it to other people to get tested so that, you know, you're not a spreader. So that's mm-hmm. the other thing. So they need to test. And, uh, you know, you don't just uh, avoid testing. So anyway, uh, on this yeah. week's show, we've got a chat with former Tigers star Matt Merton. We're going to look at player development. We're going to look at the All-Star game and handle some high heat. So let's start swinging. Clearing the bases. All right. So I had a chat about two weeks ago with former Hanshin star Matt Merton. Uh, we had been trying to nail down a time for literally since the season started, so for a while, and we finally made it happen. And it's always a thrill to talk to Matt, not only because he's a man of God and he's just a humble star and just a humble person, but he's knowledgeable, he's thoughtful, and he's thorough with answers. And geez, he was he was on the podcast, I don't know, once a month, it seems like, early <laughs> on for us, <laughs> like the first year, second year. And not only because he was always he was always available and made himself available, but be, because he was doing things on the field. He was very productive. He was a big star with the Tigers. Uh, he still remains someone people know. Uh, I can attest to that from wearing the jersey that he 
uh, bestowed upon me after I asked. And every time I wear it, uh, people say Merton, Merton, and the, and they just talk about it. And uh, the, the fans still appreciate what he did, and we appreciate him too. We he held the single season hit record, which he set in 2010 for a while, and then in 2015, Shogo Akiyama broke it when he was with the Saber Lions. And so Akiyama holds the record now. He finished that season with 216 hits. But Matt's in Tennessee. He's helping out as a, at the local high school uh, with baseball. And he's raising his four beautiful children and, and going through life with his lovely wife. And life is good. And uh, you can hear it in his voice. So let's take a listen to Matt Merton. All right. Joining us for the first time in a long time is Matt Merton, former Hanshin Tigers star. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. John, thanks a lot, man. I always enjoy being with you. Well, geez, you were on the show very regularly that first year and, and the second year as well with all the all the great things that you did here in MPB. So um, how much are you following MPB these days? I certainly still follow it. Um, you know, we spent six years over there and, um, you know, you have a lot of great memories and experiences. And I love the game of baseball. I do. And Japan will always be a part of, our story as a family, and certainly when when I have a chance to check in, I do. I mean, it's not as if, as it was as a player when you're when you're on there seeing what's going on in the league daily. But um, I do still check back in. I enjoy doing it. Now, Hanshin had an awful start to the season this year. Uh, there were concerns all around for what was going on, uh, and it compelled you to tweet your support for the team and former teammate, now manager Akihiro Yano. What? How did that come about? Yeah, like I said, I follow the team. Um, you know, I, I think more than anything, uh, this game will remind you of how difficult it is. Um, they they were not obviously playing um, to their ability, and that happens in the game, uh, whether it's individuals or teams. Um, and, and one of the biggest things, I think it's real easy to sour when people aren't performing to the degree that you would expect them to. Um, and I recognize that, and that's why just for me, it's just, you know, I, whether whether it's received or it's not received, just just to a degree of just recognizing, hey, listen, I know this is hard. Uh, I, I'm I'm over in the U.S. I still care about our team, uh, the Tigers, and uh, just just lend a you know some 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 sort of support, um, knowing that it's a very difficult time they were going through. Now I know you have some uh, contact with the team. Did you actually contact anybody and and have a conversation with them as well? I speak to uh, Oki-san, who was our translator there for the six years that I was there, um, somewhat regularly. I mean, that's, you know, that's all relative, I guess. Um, but I do, talk, I do talk to him, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice way for me to be able to pass along a message or just tell everybody I said hello or whatever. Um, so that's my primary contact with the team. So now, uh, obviously, uh, Koji Chikamoto, one of the top players for the team, had a 30-game hitting streak, and that was snapped last night and you had a 30 game hitting streak with the tigers as well he got to the doorstep of the all-time npb record i mean the thing kind of sneaks up on you you know once you get to about 20 uh it's not like in the states where it's 56 and you can go 35 almost 40 games and then people start to really pay attention but here it's kind of once you get to 20 you really have to start paying attention you have to remind yourself to pay attention so when did you start uh, paying attention to Chikamoto's uh, hitting streak? Um, I think I was aware of it probably in the mid-20s. Um, that's when I became aware of it. As I mentioned, like I, I, the, the day-to-day is not always the easiest to follow. 
But right. certainly uh, I check in. Uh, I definitely check in. And so um, I had kind of had, I had kind of had an idea that, you know, he was performing really well during that stretch. I know the team started off really slowly, but I think during interleague play, they really picked up. And obviously over the last 30 games or so, he's been instrumental in helping, you know, facilitate, get the offense going. In fact, I believe that he was leading off. Maybe they moved him into the three hole or something of that nature. But, right. Um, right. Yeah. He, he, uh, he obviously was doing great. And then, and then I do have a lot of, I still have a, a lot of friends and people that I communicate with that were uh, certainly keeping me updated on what was going on. So it was probably right, right around the mid twenties when I was like, Hey, he's really making a run at this. And, and I was aware of it. Now you, obviously you are a foreign player, so it's different for you since you can flip on the news and just see the highlights and maybe not understand fully what people are saying, but how was that whole hitting streak situation for you when you were a player here? Sure. Um, I think it's like anything else. Like, you know, once you get to a certain point, um, it kind of starts to take on a life of its own uh, in terms of like whatever number that would have been. And I, and I don't recall specifically when I sensed it, uh, but there is some, there is a, 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 as a player, you feel some level of like momentum, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it just starts to build on itself and, and you start to believe it. Every day you go to the yard, you believe that you're going to get a hit. Um, and I think what happens is inevitably, once you start getting, uh, for me, I remember it was Wadison, I believe, who had, who had held the, the Tigers uh, record uh, for his streak um, at the time when he was, he was managing us. And we'd have conversations about it, which was really cool to have him there. Um, but I think once you kind of set that and then you realize like 33 and you kind of start creeping, you start, you, there is a, there's an, it's easy for you to begin to want to press a little bit at the plate because mm. now you're trying to produce this hit, you know. Um, all the way up into it, you don't think too much of it. You sense the momentum of, of how you've been playing. Sure. And then there comes that point, probably right around as you creep into that 30 range, where it start, you start to feel it because you're like, hey, I'm only a few games away. And people are talking about it a lot now. And so you start to feel like this need to produce a hit rather than just go out and compete. Yeah, I always thought, man, every player goes up to the batter's box each time looking to get a hit. So it's not like you're trying to just get a hit in, in a game. So how does that whole experience go from focusing on one at bat to I, I just need to get a hit tonight? Yeah, um, I, I think that, you know, you go into games and everybody's a little different, but you go into a game, you obviously there's a game plan um, and you know who it is you'll be facing on the mound that particular day. And uh, you kind of go through your pregame routine. Um, and you try to keep it as normal as possible. You get into the game and you're competing. The one thing, it's like any of these individual uh, stats or, or recognitions or whatever you want to call them, um, records of sorts, um, it, it really does put some undue like uh, attention on yourself. And not that, you're, not that you are um, opposed to, obviously, as a professional athlete, you're used to people watching you and critiquing you. Um, but when it goes from a focus on how you're helping your team win so how you're going to get a hit as an individual, it can, it can start to mess with you mentally. Um, but I think the, really the best way you can handle it is going at bat, at bat, at bat by at bat, pitch by pitch, um, and continuing to compete uh, and do the best you can to help your team win and try to keep the focus on the team. Though it becomes much, much more difficult as you get closer to those, those numbers right there in the 30s. Yeah, obviously I've never done it. It would just seem like that bat gets a little bit heavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything gets a little bit. The mind starts, you know, becoming a little bit more of a, of a challenge to overcome at times. And yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that are at play. 
but it's fun. And I, I just, you know, like I said, it's so, it's so short in Japan in terms of gaining that momentum uh, at maybe around 20 something games and then having everybody watch. And for me, I'm trying to watch as many games as possible, but always keep aware of when Chikamoto is coming up to bat and just, you know, get to somewhere where I can see or listen on the radio or something. So, yeah, well, let's flip the conversation now. Uh, there has always been a lot of talk since Interleague started about how the Pacific League was just better than the Central League. And how much is it about, you know, the wins and the wins in the Japan series? And in Interleague, you look at the individual players. How do you evaluate that? What do you guys give more weight to the yeah, no, I think that that's always open for discussion, right? Um, I, I do think that the one thing that when you have like a more traditional, um, you know, Central League being like the National League in the United States and Pacific League more like the American League, though uh, this year the United States did away with uh, pitchers being in the batter's box. Um, yes. But what I, what, I, what I do think, they included obviously that DH in the National League, but what I do think that there is a distinct advantage um, to Pacific League teams uh, and American League teams in, in, in the setting where um, you have rosters that are constructed in such a way um, where your bench players maybe on, on a Central League team need to create some level of flexibility and uh, versatility in how they defend um, and, and, and so forth, whereas, a, whereas in a Pacific League team, they, they automatically know they have a DH. Um, and they, they, they adjust their rosters accordingly. I would, and, and in that, um, there's the potential for you to use a guy who can really hit the baseball, who might be a little bit more of a liability defensively, but you roster that guy and you end up becoming a middle of the order type hitter a lot of times. Mm. So when you go, when you go into those, when you go into those matchups, my, the argument can be made that the Pacific League teams are, are much more prepared, um, yeah, with, with DHs. Um, already rostered um, to be able to take on uh, the games uh, in their ballparks with the DH. I just think they have a distinct advantage. Um, you, I guess the same could be said in terms of you know how you manage a Central League team uh, in their home ballpark. Um, but that's that's just a that's just one thought. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. Certainly, the talent that um, Pacific League uh, teams bring uh, is a is a factor there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of great players on both sides um, in both leagues. Um, but I, I do find it interesting how rosters are constructed and how they, they, they tend to kind of have that guy kind of uh, already on the roster that certainly can produce uh, a lot of runs in the middle of the order. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've heard stories about you know, lack of preparation and, and overall disinterest in, in interleague uh, among the Central League teams. How much did you guys or what was your preparation like when you guys were going into interleague play? Yeah, we would we would do the same uh, that we usually would do in regards to going over scouting reports and whatnot for the pitching that we'd be facing. Um, that didn't change a whole lot. Um, but uh, in regards to just as a player, um, I did find the interleague play to be um, something that I enjoyed. And the reason being is because um, we really enjoy competing uh, with those five other teams in our in our league and uh, the Central League. Um, but to get some some some, uh, some fresh faces and some fresh cities, uh, and just kind of get a change of pace for a little bit during a long season, um, I think mentally is really beneficial. Um, and it, and also, you know, it's always nice in terms of I would I would think from a fan's perspective on their ability to their ability to be able to um, their ability to be able to see different players right from different towns that they might not get a chance to see. So right. uh, preparation-wise, it's going to remain very similar. Um, from a player's perspective, I enjoyed it. It's, it's a fresh look. 
I always enjoyed it as a fan, and I think there should be, it should be longer. It's only 18 games now, and I, I want more. I, I, we, Jim and I were joking this season that maybe they should have another interleague session right at the, at the start of August. That would be awesome. <laughs> it would be. It would be. Now, I don't know. Obviously, the leagues are making those decisions for reasons, and there's a lot of logistics that are at play. But, yeah, yeah in the ideal it. world, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be a bad thing, right? And why, why no. do you think that is? I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't be asking the questions, but why do you think that is that that they've set it at this 18 games is the reasons why they would not entertain the idea of more. I just think the the giants have not had their way <laughs> on the wins and losses scale. You. And, and uh, they've just been scaling it back so that they don't have to take a hit. <laughs> I got you. It's plain and simple. Yep. I got you. I know how that goes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. How much have you given thought to the idea of being a manager of baseball? Um, I love the game and I love thinking the game. I, you know, I love playing it. I was always somebody who found myself probably as a player to be more interested in a lot of the going ons of the club that probably than I should have in the sense that this, I love competing, but my mind was just always running, you know? Um, and so in conversations, whether it's at the dinner tables or whatnot, I would always, you know, kind of go down that road a little bit at times. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed evaluating for the three years I did. I thought it was really good and healthy for me to see the game from behind the net, um, mm-hmm. and, and, to, and to really look at players from that perspective. Um, and I, I love right now, like I, I really enjoy teaching hitters. I enjoy working with outfielders. Um, and certainly I, you know, I, I, I take on the responsibility of taking care of my, my kids, um, their teams. And that's been a lot of fun. So I do. I love the game. Um, if I were ever given the opportunity to manage in the right situation, um, it would definitely be something that I would entertain. Awesome. Awesome to hear. Now, uh, you know, Yano announced just before the season, and I had picked the Tigers to win the Central League this year, and he came out and announced that he would be stepping down after this season. So I haven't heard anything about who was going to replace him, but who do you think would be a good replacement for Yano? That's a great question. I think a lot of that, you know, comes back to um, there's so many factors at play, right? Sure. Uh, certainly, the temperament of the individual in terms of how they, how there's different styles, right? Are they are they analytical? Um, are they are they well versed in regards to under their knowledge and understanding of the game? All of those things are prerequisites, right, for being able to take that seat. Um, and then, you know, visibility, guys that are known is always nice, you know, and especially in a market like that with the Tigers. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. my, a name that, a name that you know, pops to your head that I'm not saying, you know, just want, thinking back on my teammates, maybe a little bit younger, um, but a guy like Toratani, um, you know, uh, sure. Jojima. Jojima would always be an interesting guy um, for that. I know he's soft bank, you know, in the sense of like maybe where he came up and whatnot. Um, and whether, whether these guys have interest or not, but those are just some of the guys that I think of when I think back on, um, my teams, uh, Sekimoto, uh, different guys that, you know, that like in the clubhouse around the team, they had a pretty good understanding of the pulse of what was going on. They understood the game, um, you know, things to that degree, but to have any one individual, like for me to make a, you know, a, a definitive statement on that would be unfair. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I'm just looking for ideas. You know, like I said, we haven't really heard much about who might replace him. At least I haven't. I'm sure there's some names being bandied about, especially in that 
market out there with <laughs> the newspaper pressure and the and the media pressure out there. I'm sure some names have been out there, but, uh, you know, Sekimoto, I think he's doing some radio color commentary. Some of your ex-teammates are definitely on the radio. Arrived on, maybe, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he is doing commentary as well, yeah, and yep. uh, he's so good. He's so good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um all right. Well, we really appreciate your time and I know you're busy. So we, the listeners, especially, I'm sure glad to hear your voice after such a long time. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time tonight. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate it. All right. So as I said, you could hear the thoughtfulness in his responses mm. and the sincerity and everything. But uh, FYI, I was going to ask him about how he felt about Chikamoto breaking the club record and maybe going for the NPB consecutive hit uh, streak record, but you know, we all know the answer to that. Uh, and I think that was evident when Akiyama broke his Matt single season sure. record and, and Matt sent Akiyama text messages to his phone to congratulate him. And I, I mean, that just would have been, we know how that answer goes. I, I didn't waste his time or our time asking about that, but what stuck around, uh, in your head after you listen to this? Well, you know, the whole thing, uh, well, I, I think, I couldn't get away from the fact that probably nobody knows more about what it feels to need a hit today than Matt mm. Merton, because he described, he has described in the past in a number of interviews in great detail about how nerve wracking and anxiety inducing it was to not be able to get a hit when everybody had your back, but feeling that when you didn't get a hit, you were letting the team down and that you weren't, you were in fact not a success, but a failure. And mm. it really ate him up in 2010. Um, he was right on the verge of it. And then he didn't get a hit for, I think four games. And, and and he told me that the the thing that happened was sort of like what Chikamoto said after he got his after his streak stopped, which was he could go back to just playing baseball. He didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about hits. He you know, and what happened was he was in a game situation where uh, I think he needed to hit. Be, he wanted to hit behind the runner. Right. Or he wanted to go to the opposite field. I, I forget what the situation was, but, you know, that's what he was focused on. And it took him out of the focusing on the thing he needed to do, took him away from the pressure of the things that were weighing on him. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. get a hit, get a hit, as opposed to just play baseball. Well, so. or do whatever the situation dictates. Exactly, exactly. Just take care of the situation as opposed to getting adding to my hit total. So hearing him talk about it brought that back, and I agree with you, Mattis. Uh, you know, he's as gracious as uh, anybody I know. Uh, I still savor the time, you know, uh, time we've been able to spend together. I always look forward to another chance to go to the winter meetings in Nashville. And, mm. and also... Uh, so that there's that. Uh, that was great fun. And the other thing that was really interesting was uh, hearing, I, I, I love the, that answer about managing. I think about baseball maybe way too much, <laughs> more uh-huh. than I should. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, because he's been, uh, he's been with the Chicago Cubs uh, in uh, 
player development. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, after he left, after he quit playing, he he went into the front office and worked in player development and he worked in scouting and we had a chance to catch up uh, in Mesa, Arizona at the Cubs uh, spring training facility in 2019, last time I was there. And uh, yeah, this is great. And so I, I just, I just uh, really savor the chance we get to hear him and 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 uh, hear him speak frankly. And the other one is, yeah, Tori Tani. I think certainly, um, I'm a, I'm as I'm as perplexed as anyone about who should manage the Tigers because I wouldn't wish that job on my worst enemy. Huh. But I actually would. <laughs> wow, you're 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 a mean one, Mister Grinch. Oh, there are a couple guys at work. I'd, I'd kick their butt all the way down to Osaka right now if they didn't make them take that job. Just <laughs> hashtag high heat. An idea of what it's like to be. Anyway, um, I'm yep. sorry. Okay. Back to our regular so, schedule. So yeah, Tori Tani is an interesting <laughs> choice. I'm 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 a I'm a big fan of his. So. No, that was I, I enjoyed that. Thank you for doing that interview. Yeah, uh, that actually, you know how I love to prepare my questions. That one actually just kind of came to me as we were talking, just hearing him talk, because that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of the Matt Martin experience is he inspires you to do things, whether uh, it's ask a good question or uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming in the case of his players at at the high school maybe to do things that they're they're not sure they can do everybody you know you think you can you think you can but until you get out there and actually give it a try and compete it's murky area you know it's a, it's a murky situation but I, I think he instills confidence but anyway uh yeah I think for me that was the whole thing is once we got around I mean again in arranging the interview he was talking about the fact that you well let's let's wait until Chikamoto breaks this record and uh, we ended up doing it the day that Chikamoto failed to get a hit. Uh, and then uh, it was the morning in Japan and, and that next morning or it was late at night here in Japan. I can't remember which one. And all the interviews are starting to run together. I'm doing so many, but he had just failed to get a hit that particular day. So uh, it ended up being the perfect day. But uh, if he was if Chikamoto was going to break that record, we would have been a little bit early. But I did like those were the things that, that really stood out to, to me, the, the names he brought up. And although Kenji Jojima seems to be a real emotional guy uh, for me, I'm not sure that he'd be able to deal with all that media, the questions, the questions and the constant scrutiny, I think. But I thought Toritani would be a good one because all, the, all that stuff, he would not really even give a good blankety blank i mean he would not care what the media is talking about because it doesn't really matter and um kentaro sekimoto i I thought that was an interesting one i've heard him on radio doing uh color commentary he he's pretty good it's hard to listen sometimes to the the tigers radio because they're such homers (laughs) so um unless you're a real diehard tigers fan you're just like give it to me straight here you know uh just give me the game but Takahiro Arai, I thought that was a really fascinating choice. And I think uh, he inadvertently saved the best choice for last because, as you know well, uh, Arai was the player rep for uh, Hanshin, I believe, um, during the time that they had the, the, the one, was it a one weekend strike or one day strike even? Yeah, yeah. Takahiro Arai, uh, he was 
It was still with Hiroshima. So he was a player's rep with Hiroshima then, yeah. Okay. And right. it was, they struck on two consecutive weekends. And then that was okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So with Hiroshima, yeah, that that's interesting. But he is so, I, I remember sitting down in the dugout one day when he was with Hiroshima and we did a, a quick interview and I had never spoken with him before. Mm. And I said I wanted to talk about the Central League pennant race and Hiroshima was in it. It was the second half of the season. And he said, okay, well, let me go and hit. And after I go and hit, we'll sit down in the, in the dugout. And I couldn't believe, first of all, how naturally he just kind of spoke to me. He didn't, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times in Jim, will, Jim knows this because I think he, Jim has been with me sometimes when people, when I've asked them for interviews and they say, wow, you know, you, you speak Japanese and they're just surprised. And I didn't do anything. He didn't blink. Uh, as Jim can attest to, he's just such a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. He, he sat down and just thoughtfully answered the questions naturally. And I tape all the interviews anyway. So, you know, if there is something that, especially in 2000, I don't know, this is probably 2006 or seven, somewhere in there. And uh, if there was something that I couldn't understand or had to fake my way through that I'd get somebody to listen to it later. But I understood everything. I mean, he was so natural and so everything so simple and straightforward that it was it was just easy, easy guy to talk to. But I I also got an understanding for how smart he, mm-hmm. and he's a good baseball guy. So I thought I thought that that's a really good yeah. choice. Now, like I said, it's not that I haven't uh, been looking to see what the names are. If there are some, there have probably been bandied about since uh, Yano made this announcement before the season. I just haven't paid attention, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope we start to hear more as the you know before the playoffs start, but around around September, so that. Yano can just do a handoff and not have to worry about who's going to do it, uh, who's going to take over for him and uh, hear all these people. And then the people start asking him, well, who should take over for you? And all these kinds of goofy questions that can come up. But I'm sure looks like the Tigers have a really good opportunity to be in the playoffs. So that should be fun. Uh, I, I just have to mention Arai because I'll tell you, um, I had a really good relationship with Arai before he went to the Tigers and after he went to the Tigers. And that while he was with the Tigers, I think it was it was like he was trying to hold his breath for six or seven years. Mm. I went to 2008, I went down to Okinawa and talked to him and he's looking at me like, pressure, like get out of my face, you know? And this is a guy who'd be like, <laughs> this is a guy who'd be like going, I remember having a drink and a coffee outside Tokyo Dome, you know, sitting there with talking with a friend before, uh, I guess it was an all-star game or a, a U.S., a major league all-star tour game. And I was sitting there and um, eating my lunch and having a coffee before I went in. And he walked past and waved, you know, and my friend said, who is that, a reporter? I said, no, that's a Takahiro Rai. And they're like going, how come you didn't stop and get me their autograph? You know, <laughs> you know, he was just, he was just being him. And he was always like that with a carp. He was always willing to stop. And then when he went back to the carp. He was just like the same guy, but with the tigers, he was always a little uptight. So my question is, is he ready to be the tigers manager and have to go through all the tigers nonsense again? And my guess is no, I don't think it suits his temperament. Uh, he is a great well, guy. Yeah, But, but remember, I would say this then just remember he's older and wiser now and there's just it's just different when you're not a player True. and he can let that stuff roll off of his back now because he's he doesn't have to worry about getting a hit and performing in the game he just has to worry about his players 
And that that when you're again, we always hear this. Plant managers have to worry about all the kids, but all the kids only have to worry about themselves. So it's just different. I, I don't think you'll have time to worry about the nonsense of the media, to be honest. I, I think I think you can get around mm. it. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. That temperament mm. is, is important. Well, I thought Kanemoto yeah. could handle it, but in the end, he couldn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we don't know these guys as we think we know them. We only know the persona. True. We can only we see. Yeah. It's a kind of a puzzle. We we have just a few pieces of the puzzle. We're trying to figure out what the picture looks like. So true enough. That's correct. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, and uh, hope to have you on again and soon. <laughs> Let's not wait so many years in between. So thank mm. you very much for your time. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. Take care. All right. Making a seamless transition. Now, Jim and I recently had one of these old-fashioned conversations we used to have when we worked together in the office in the before time, and we had it via text message, and it was on smartphones. And uh, I was talking about the dragons, and Jim made this statement, and I quote, the dragons need a new model for player development. Mm. Now, I thought, huh, this, and I guess I'm going to have to name my cousin because I always bring him up. Uh, old old cousin Gus in, in in New York, and he he's not old. He's much younger than I am, and vibrant young, fine artist that he is. He's a big sports fan, but he has these very fan based views about sports, and so we have these discussions. And so when Jim made that statement, I thought, well, mm, okay, but what do we know about the Dragons' player development? And so I I thought for a second, and I asked, why do you say that? And Jim replied, because their old one ain't producing and they can't afford to buy dependable talent. And so I just I look at those statements and my cousin kind of makes statements like that. He he has a favorite NBA team. And one time he said, oh, this team has the best player development in in the NBA. And, and I know he was only saying that because the team he roots for drafted a bunch of guys he had never heard of. But then those guys were producing on the NBA level. And I thought, well, just because you don't know them doesn't mean Mm. you know what their ceiling is or you know what their floor is as a player. You'd have to go through and and find out uh, what the evaluations are on all the players and then decide or decipher whether those players were making adequate advancements in their careers. And then you could say this this team has good player development. This team has poor player development, whatever. So um, I just wondered, again, uh, why Jim made that statement, kind of a blanket statement, because it's unlike Jim to do that. And so I started to look at the Dragons and because I, I, given their status, especially over the past few years, uh, their inability to get beyond, I don't know, fourth place in the Central League. It's true that they haven't had any really big guys pop, but they do have a a development program or a situation that has players coming up and producing. So I guess with all that in mind, what made you really think about that in that, uh, in that respect that they are, you know, that they're not producing and that they, they obviously they, they, the money problem we know about, but why did you think that their players weren't producing? Well, I think it's this, uh, I look at the, I don't, I don't have a view of, trying to measure what people I can't measure what people are capable of before they're in the system. It's beyond Mm. the scope. So I just, you know, I throw that out. I'm basically only interested in what they actually produce. Okay. And I see 
you know, I, I haven't done, I haven't done a real thorough study of this, but I see if you look at the law well, and, but I, I have looked, okay. Like the, who are the, the dragon's top three draft choices since 2015 name any of them that are any good. And um, okay. Well, you, I guess that means, I, I, okay. I, of course, you know me, I don't have any of this stuff written down. This would all okay. be in my head, but well, but, you, Yanagi is the obvious one. He was a first round draft choice. Yeah. I have him on a list of guys who are, are producing, but I have, you know, I guess, what we've been seeing is, and as a Dragons fan, what I've been experiencing is I haven't seen any offensive production from guys. I mean, Yota Kyoda was on a good course, but he seemed sure. to fade. And I actually still think he he's fine. He's I do very too. Much very much adequate as a shortstop in this league, and I I just don't get what's happening. Again, something we probably don't know. Maybe mistakes that keep recurring, and that's why his current manager has banished him again. Yeah, I but, know. <laughs> I know. I had, a, I, I, had a blo- I had a blog the other day where I saw what two shortstops made, sort of very trivial errors that probably wouldn't have cost the play, but they were very obvious. Right. And I thought if they made that with Chunichi, they'd be at Nagoya Stadium tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be removed and bus would pick them up and drop them off halfway. Exactly. Game, right? <laughs> yeah. But I thought their pitchers. I thought. Essentially, what I argued with you was mm-hmm. that sometimes we don't know in terms of the players. We don't we don't know, especially if they don't play at Koshien in the high school tournament. Uh, a lot of times we don't know the young players who are really good. And mm-hmm. the assumption, I think, goes to in line with the major leagues that if you if you haven't made it by college age, that you're probably not that good. But we've seen some guys come out of corporate leagues and have some success. Now, I don't know that it's been that long and I don't know that there's that many, but as long as it is a quote unquote feeder system and it's part of the feeder system, then you can expect some talent to come out of there. So I looked at some of the guys on their team right now and and the list I had was, and these are guys in recent history. So not, maybe not 2015, maybe more recent history, but mm-hmm. uh, Akiyoshi Katsuno, who's not a great yeah. pitcher, but no, he's on, he's on my list. Yeah. Kyoda, uh, Yuki Okabayashi, who we spoke of, or you mm-hmm. and I, I think we spoke off mic about him earlier in the season. And I said, well, once he learns the strike zone, I think he's going to be an effective hitter. Uh, Yanagi was on my list. Shinosuke Ogasawara, again, not a great pitcher, but he's contributing. Yeah. Uh, Tatsuya Shimizu, a pitcher, and then Hiroto Takahashi, who's a second-year pitcher. Yeah, uh, I liked him. Daisuke Fugai, and the guy who really was on a really good arc, uh, Takaya Ishikawa, who's still young, did get injured, but he was their top war player yeah. this year. So they, they've got some players. Yeah. Uh, Akira Neo, the pitcher, seems to be a, a first-teamer, whereas the Akira Neo, the position player, wasn't. So I think they have talent. What, my argument is that a, a lot of times we know some of the names and then we have expectations for, the guy, for these guys. But I don't, uh, generally. A, a lot, no, no, no. I mean, we, we, we meaning the public, has oh, an expectation. Okay. If, if someone named Tomoyuki Sugano goes to your team, well, the expectation is that he's going to play within a year on the top team and do something. Uh, and so if he doesn't, then something's wrong. But if if they what I, my whole argument that day when we were talking, and not my argument, my, my stance and my assertion was that maybe their drafting is the problem, not that their player well, development is yeah. the problem, because we yeah. don't know exactly what these guys, what the, ex, what the team expects from them. Correct. 
And I think I think that is that is of course an, a factor. You know, as I said, I we don't know. You know, and I I don't really base too much on. There's very few amateur guys I know. Although I'll be fair, I did know you about about Ishikawa, just because right. I did pay a, I paid a lot of attention to the under eighteen World the Cup youth team. Yes, I remember yep. you, you talked about that on the show, and I was really impressed with him and a couple of the guys on that team. And, and it looks like he blew out his knee and that he he's yeah, gone for the season. But I also it's, thought it's been real quiet. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, it's not uncommon for a guy of that talent to, you know, to, to lose a year, you know, to like have a have a, a lost year the first year. But I, I think I, I'm just thinking that he's his development while, you know, he was good in terms of he was good in terms of the Chunichi Dragons. He might not be good in terms of ten of the other twelve NPB teams compared to the guys that are on the team. Now that's yeah, that's uh, kind of that's a throwaway quote. That's a throwaway comment. But um, I've not been. You know, he's still young, and sometimes it takes guys longer than others to learn. You know, to learn this and that. But I love his tools. But I a hundred percent agree with you that the scouting, and I think this is the other thing, the scouting is probably another part of the equation that, uh, you know, we look at some of the teams, some teams have shown a particular knack for particular kinds of players. Like Lotte mm-hmm. has had a long history of getting tremendous corporate league players, uh, particularly corporate league uh, players, uh, not only pitchers, but a lot of guys coming out of the corporate leagues. And, uh, the Oryx Buffaloes have had, uh, in my impression, have extremely good scouting because we know because these guys come up and they can play. And then the problem is usually after they start playing that they um, they kind of take two steps back. But with Chunichi, I haven't seen that as much. Uh, and then I, I think uh, the reason, of course, I mentioned it was because the dragons, uh, the dragons' business model has changed so drastically since sure, ten, sure. ten years, you know, fifteen years ago, when they were poaching foreign talent from other teams mm-hmm. and signing free agents like Kazuhiro Wada, and mm-hmm. so that so that was their game, and then they had they shifted it to focus. Uh, so much so heavily on Latin America. And when uh, Shige Kazumori was the pitching coach and the head coach, um, he was as good at that as anybody in the world about going to the Dominican and finding the guys that major league teams weren't um, beating down the doors to and bringing them Mm -hmm. back. And they've got a good connection with Cuba right now, but Mori's no longer in that game. They're not breaking down the doors with these guys from the Dominican winter league. And so they're, they're, and they're just not as good at the, the two El Cheapo, the longtime El Cheapo, good um, foreign talent acquiring teams, the carp and the swallows. Sure. But I I want to throw all that foreign stuff to the side and just talk about, just focus on their player. Because I, I, I looked at, I mean, what's frustrating for me, I can, the only way I can explain it is, is Mm. as a fan, of the okay. team and i just see this profile of players who are very similar they're little either left or right well, mm. they're mostly left-handed slap hitting guys who don't drive the ball and i think part of that is they're hoping that some of these guys pop 
uh, and that they can use him as uh, you know those the scrappy kind of team that can generate runs in a park in which it's hard to hit home runs in the mm. first place. They're not trying to build a team that is is maybe more line drive oriented. They want the slapper hitters and that they were trying to make adjustments to the ballpark. But given that, they you would think that they would come up with a you know, they have drafted some power hitters in the past. I remember a couple guys, some one heavy hitter, one of those uh sure uh Takeo Nakamura type heavy hitter heavy mm-hmm. hitter type guys, but they just have not panned out. We've seen uh late blooming Toshiki Abe who had one standout season on the offensive side as an excellent de- defensive player, but can't stay consistent and a lot of powerless hitters. But the pitchers they have produced, oh yeah, have been fine. No, the and no so, definitely not a problem with the pitching. Um, right. So I mean, they the profile on the kinds of hitters maybe they're looking at or or mm. uh, that because I'm thinking that it's not a problem so much with development as it is they've had more Akira Neo the position Mm. guy than they've had uh, Ishikawa the position guy I've seen this that's the problem you know I've seen this with other teams that perceive that their stadium plays to a certain kind of hitter Mm -hmm. and uh, this was this was a famous with the Tayo Whales, the predecessors to the DNA Bay Stars, uh, because when when Yokohama Stadium was built, it was one of the larger NPB parks, and it had astroturf when not a lot of parks had astroturf, mm-hmm. and they bought into the thinking in the late 70s in the United States about what a turf team is. They wanted to be the Philadelphia Phillies of the, their, that time and the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And so they drafted and worked on base stealers. And they right. <laughs> and and here's the pro and the problem they had was the park was such a good offensive park. It made all these guys' numbers look like really credible when they weren't. <laughs> mm. And I wouldn't, and from looking at the, and I think you're 100% right that the Dragons, uh, and, I, and I think this is, this is probably the big issue, the Dragons have fallen into that trap of we need speedy slap hitters we need guys we need a team full of yohei oshimas and then we'll get a big foreign guy who can hit home runs and that's enough and i I don't want to take away from yohei oshima he is absolutely one of my favorite players he's still going strong i know (laughs) i know it's it's, it's amazing but i i love him to death because he just does everything he needs to do with this with the skills he's got but the point is that's okay but it's it has limitations, and I think the dragons have kind of like gone that way. Um, oddly enough, the dragons, when Hiromitsu Uchiai was the manager, were kind of a, were a funny team because their pitching wasn't re- their pitching was kind of ordinary, but they had that amazing defense. They had a really good offense, and all that was masked, you know, the the between the the superb defense and the park they played, and it looked like their pitching was really really good, and it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they've actually got really good pitching. <laughs> I actually think it's the opposite. I, I think some of their, their pitches are, are actually not that good outside the dome at all, but they're well, that really might effective be. inside the dome. 
and that that uh, happens. And uh, the uh, the group you're talking about the 2006, seven to maybe even uh, eleven group. It wasn't. Let's say it wasn't as good as it looked on paper, but it was better as a group outside the dome than the group that the team has now, because the, the, that group could win at Koshien and could pitch well at Yokohama and could pitch well at Jingu. But well, I look at it this way too. Yeah, they also well, had I mean, tons of runs when they went on the road because their offense well, was yeah, really they good. Had a, I mean, they, again, the 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 spirit, uh, the the motto at that time was we we won't lose if we don't give up any runs. So, mm. <laughs> but they and they had yes, that, they did have they, that and they had that that amazing defense too. I mean, the, the their defense right right Especially was one of the best the I've seen. Yeah. So I always think about, I mean, I've never, unfortunately, I've only spoken to player development people. And the only, the closest thing I came to doing that was, and I hate to do this to you guys, but I played basketball here in Japan on the club level for more than 10 years. And I was on a team uh, in which we had a guy who came up to me one day and he said, you know what, in, in the games, you guys don't pass me the ball. I think I've told this story before. I'm not sure if you recall it or not. I remember. In, in games, you guys don't pass me the ball the same way you do in practice. And I said, well, you know, it's all a matter of trust. I think the guys need to be able to trust that you're going to catch it, first of all. And then once you catch it, you're going to be able to make the right decision with it, whether that's to shoot it or to make another pass. And I think sometimes when guys get in the games and, and everything's going as fast at pace as it is, they're not, they're, it's just a matter of trust. They're, they look at you and they see you and they, they worry about A, catching the ball and then B, uh, what happens afterwards. So uh, well, I told him, I said, look, let those guys see you working on your weaknesses. Ask them to help you. Um, let them know that those that's what you're doing. And you know, I, I didn't issue him a, a report card, but I said, here, these are the things I, I want to see you improve at. And when once you do that and the guys know that you're doing it and they know that when the game comes, you're, you're better at it, they're not going to hesitate. But right now they're probably hesitating and they don't even think about it. They just say, oh, no, he's not going to catch it. And they don't throw the ball in an area where you feel confident you can do. If you're working on your strengths all the time and not your weaknesses, People are going to wait until your moment that that situation arises so that you can be in a situation of strength and then they're going to pass you the ball. Mm. So make it easier for them to do those yeah. things. So like I said, the report card, the player development, I've never done it with a whole team or a roster or anything, but I, I was involved in it and trying mm. to make guys better. And those are the things I, I did. And so, you know, I think the fact that we even talked to, for example, we talked to Dennis Arfate years ago while he was still active uh, with the SoftBank Hawks. And he told us about Richard Sunagawa and how this kid was in the gym and he's uh, he's lifting so much weight that he was, you know, tearing the roof off the or the ceiling off of the off of the gym with the weights that he was lifting. So we I've been waiting for this guy to, to make it and be a top team contributor on a regular basis ever since Dennis told us that. But it just. It just hasn't happened. He's still a young kid. He's got to learn how to hit pitching. He's got to learn how to make himself uh, be calm in, in big game situations and then try to produce when, when pitchers make mistakes. But there are just more levels to this than I think we can, oh, we can yeah. throw at just saying, uh, well, we haven't yeah. seen anybody come out of the system for a while, so it must be bad. I think mm. you know the whole thing has to be reviewed, and we have to look at what kind of players they're taking, who they're taking, and... And, and again, we don't know their ceiling. We just see some numbers on a page. And, no, and that's a paper true. And, 
and we That's don't know true. who they're playing and all those things. So it, it just, I, I just think it's more complicated than. Oh, than that. really? But, but what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is, if if eleven teams are getting much more out of the draft picks. <laughs> then, then that's kind sure. of an indication that there's a problem. Oh, now, I'm not saying there's no problem. I'm, 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 I'm but, yeah, over here. Identifying okay? <laughs> what it is. I mean, I, I said player development because I was more interested in, you know, I was interested in what's the end product of all this of sure, A, sure. scouting and B, um, models. But I, I, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I guess a lot, you know, what, teams are trying to do but it's it's very rarely that obvious because you know teams do what they have with the the talent available you know you don't say well we're only going to get this kind of player sometimes you know you get the players you get and you know you deal with them how how you can and players are players are unique i mean one of the things that when i was studying uh counts and taking pitches and and going for pitches is that players have a vast number of individual approaches that are radically different and you know and they take a pitch for this reason this guy takes a pitch for this reason and another pitch the same batter will take the same pitch for a different reason and so it's, it's just like you and me arriving at the same mvp but our math is is, is sure different. exactly and <laughs> yes. so and, you know, but sometimes you see these huge waves and you say, wow, <laughs> you know, there's something there. So it's it's pretty rare. But, you know, we can, you know, we know things like Tatsuo Narihara has a thing about second baseman. And we know things like, you know, like the, the, the Tayo Whales used to, like, thrive on, you know, believe they could win pennants with guys who couldn't hit for power. So, you know, these are the things that are, are they if there's enough of them, they stand out. And the thing that was standing out to me was the overall talent coming through the, the dragon system has not, has not impressed me very much. Nor and has that, it impressed me, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that, but I think you're right. It they, is lopsided for the, for the, it is lopsided toward the pitching side, but certainly. Yeah. But I think this year, I think with uh Kosuke Ukai, they drafted him, Kenta mm-hmm. Bright, they drafted uh, guys who are more power-driven players than contact guys. And uh, Ukai was playing for a while. He got injured. Uh, and I do suspect that because of all the strikeouts he incurred, he'll probably spend a little bit more time simmering on the farm just to get used to the different styles of, of, of approaches to get him out. But he was he was holding his own at the at the top team yeah. level. And and I think Ishikawa probably next year when he comes back he'll be someone we can look out for. Oh, but, I you know uh, I, I like his talent so I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to get there. I mean you know teams that are he, bad he's at getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he's really going to get there. I mean, this is a guy I think is going to hit you know thirty home runs pretty you know pretty regularly. But it just when it's going to happen and you know teams teams vary. For for a hundred different reasons, teams vary. Um, sometimes, you know, there's like Takeshi Yamasaki was a great example. This is a guy who right. basically did everything they could have possibly asked from this guy, and all the Dragons did was find out reasons why he shouldn't be playing. <laughs> and, I mean, right, right. and and you see these guys, and she and. Um, Shigenobu Shima with the Hiroshima Carp was a guy who was just a tremendous hitter, but the owner 
had just took, you know, the, the carp owner decided he couldn't play. So he tried to bury him on the farm team until a spring when he hit 450 in the preseason. And he didn't have enough political juice to bury him on the farm again. <laughs> <laughs> and then he became, he won the, the Central League batting championship in his first uh, full season. And Yamasaki in his first full season won the Central League home run crown. Um, when they final, you know, when every, all the, all the, the the pins in the lock finally clicked in the right direction. There was no way to stop them, and and that happens sometimes. And, it, and for variety, sometimes it's the player, sometimes it's the adjustment, sometimes it can be the coaches. So anyway, good luck to those guys. Um, we're we're pulling yeah. for you. We're pulling for the underdogs. Yeah, and it wasn't. This was no attack on you. I just wanted to mm-hmm. have the conversation and no, and I, I didn't think talk so. Talk about yeah, talk about uh, because it, we had to. I mean. Obviously, we didn't. We weren't fighting or arguing. We were exchanging opinions on why the Dragons are such a failure in terms of their offense. But I did want to bring up the fact that their their pitching prospects are good, and uh, I think they have a profile. And again, I don't think they're putting makeup on the cutest kid at the dance. I think the makeup is covering some of the some of the ugly instead of enhancing but anyway we've got to move on okay. and we'll never finish this program so let's make a four seam transition and talk about the upcoming all-star games it is officially all-star week this the all-star break is coming uh we talked about voting earlier in the season uh, or i guess after the first uh first or second or third i don't know if that was the first actual fan voting outcome that we had but we did discuss it earlier and now we've got covid as we talked about in the opening of the show, kind of ravaging through Japan and including NPV. And we've seen the Giants have an unprecedented, almost 100 people test positive within the organization from coaches and ball boys and some of the artificial turf at Tokyo Dome. And it just seems like everybody's turning up positive. So that's going to impact the All-Star game. Anyway, so, but we do have a kind of abbreviated All-Star week here. Today, Sunday, were the last games before the All-Star break. And then the first All-Star game is on Tuesday, and that'll be at Hukuoka Pei Pei Dome. And then the next night in Matsuyama, what is that, Ehime? Bochan, yeah, Matsuyama in Ehime, which is a tremendous historical baseball town. Yeah, Ehime uh, Prefecture and the Matsuyama Bochan Stadium, and that'll be game two on Wednesday. Then there's a game, I'm sorry, a day off on Thursday, and then they're right back at it on Friday. Uh, And again, we've had injuries. We've had COVID wrecking or taking bodies off of both sides, and there are going to be players. You're going to say, how did that guy get in the All-Star game? Well, just be glad that those players haven't uh, been infected with uh, COVID uh, as well or with the coronavirus. But uh, I was thinking, you know, it was really time to, again, outlaw the hugging and the high-fiving and the other things just because this new variant is so infectious. infectious. Yeah, so we we, we got to put some limitations on these guys because all the guys on the team think, well, we're, we're always together. We're always hanging out. We're, we're good. And that's, you know, we're getting to the point where that can't be the case. And now we're going to have guys dressing with each other who are from different teams, so... You know, I'm I'm a player right now, and I see a giant walk in the locker room. I'm walking out. Hashtag high <laughs> heat. Yeah. I really yeah. am. I'm like, yeah, I mean, get I mean, my I, stuff. I'll change I, in the car. 
I mean, <laughs> on the bus. I mean, the, the players, you know, they, they took the breaks. The players are um, allowed a lot more freedom this year when they're on the road. The, in 2020, you know, there were things like Tigers, t- a bunch of Tigers got in trouble because Nagoya was one of the places they had strict limits on how many mm-hmm. tiger how many of the players could be in a room for how long in public right. and mm-hmm. they broke the rule by having too many you know one of the team captain broke the rule <laughs> and uh, another group of tigers broke the rule and the another city where that was there were strict regulations was Sapporo and that of course caused problems with the the Lotte Marines but this year, I don't think there are. I haven't talked to players. I don't know what the strict regulations are, but I. But my guess is that they're pretty. They're pretty uh, lax this year. I know that uh, families are allowed to travel. Uh, imported players' families have been traveling with them, which I, I don't say is a bad thing. But I'm just saying not a bad thing. No, no but I, you know, it's but just time to tighten everything up a little. It's bit lax, more. and the only thing I can say is that because the NPB's media access is still stuck in june 2020 ain't none of those players staff or coaches getting infected from the media and i I applaud npb (laughs) i I applaud npb for going out bending over backwards to protect reporters from their players hashtag (laughs) high heat because they've done a bang-up job of keeping us apart I would imagine in the media, we have a far fewer percentage or a far lower percentage of uh, people infected uh, with the coronavirus or the yeah coronavirus than the, the players on the field. So thank you, yep. MPB, for saving Yep, thank you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, making a two-seam transition, Jim wanted to talk about a couple of things here. Go ahead, take it away. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, the WBC. Coming up, we had uh, now the WBC was official last week and then during the All-Star game and it didn't get a lot of play in Japan, only at least in my day job, it didn't get a lot of play because Yuzuru Hanyu announced his retirement the same day. The figure skater, yes. (laughs) Yes. And a great athlete, you know, and a great champion. And that sucked all the wind out of the newsroom. So, uh at the during, I think it was during the home run der, the day of the home run derby, they asked the ESPN or NBC or whoever it was Fox or whoever was covering that thing said, uh, "Shohei, you want to be in the WBC?" Says absolutely. He said, "the The coach is my former manager. The head coach is my former manager from the Nippon Ham Fighters. I think it'll be really easy to do. I'm looking forward to you." To it, and that was the huge question, I think, for Japan. And I think the reason why uh, Samurai Japan selected Hideki Kuriyama, he was their first choice because go get Shohei was the mission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Japan could just have a knockout team. So I'm excited about that. Um, I think there's very little chance I'm going to go to Miami to watch them, but I think they could get a chance to see this. There's probably a 50-50 chance, depending on the quarterfinal results, that uh, Japan and, and the USA will play a, play a semifinal game. Ooh, yummy. <laughs> yummy indeed. It would be their third, uh, would be their third uh, WBC semifinal. So that would be pretty exciting, especially with Shohei Otani going against Mike Trout. So 
yeah, the Japan pitching roster with Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Roki Sasaki and Shohei Otani. Wow. So, uh, so there's that. And the other thing is I've been doing a lot of research about Japan's 150th, the 150th anniversary of Japanese baseball Uh this year. And I came across something really interesting uh, the last couple of days as part of my project. And I think uh, I wrote a blog post called An Idealized Past on jballisland.com. And if you read that, it will explain a lot of the reasons why Japanese baseball is shaped the way it is now. And I think it just blew me away about all these things coming together uh, 110, 115 years ago. Uh, particularly the thing that got to me was why Japan, Japanese youth baseball is so extremely devoted to single elimination tournaments. And I'll give you a little teaser. It's because the government, there was a, there was a, there was a wild, uh, a, a, a wild sense of outrage when a, a famously historically powerful team suddenly went downhill and people jumped to the conclusion that it was because they had all become individualists and were absorbing too much at Western liberal ideas. And the uh-huh. government <laughs> stepped and the government said, no more of that. We're going to have tournaments that are a hundred percent about sacrificing everything for the win. So no more no more round robins, none of this nonsense. We're going to go single elimination. And this is something mm-hmm. that happened it's 115 years ago and when you watch Koshian and when you watch the the prefectural tournaments you'll know how it got to be the way it is. So read that that blog post, I urge you. And the last thing is that uh, for the rest of this month New paid subscribers to jballisland.com will get three free months. So go for it. Go for it. All right. Excellent stuff. Thank you. All right. And one quick note, Oryx rookie right-hander Ren Mukunoki mm-hmm. uh, had a near no-hitter on Wednesday against Nippon Ham. And that would have been the fifth. He was uh, – He was. that would have been the fifth of the season. He was, he was one pitch away. One pitch away. And I actually think he got he got it. I he did had too. Two pitch that was a check swing that right. should have been a strike, and as I've talked about on this show years and years ago, a lot of umpires should be ready for that pitch, that slider in the dirt or a breaking ball in the dirt when there are two strikes. The first base first base umpire was asleep at the wheel, didn't notice that a swing had occurred. And that should have been it. And then the next pitch was a hanging. I don't know what it was. It was. It was a hanging slider. It was. I think it was supposed to be a slider, but it looked like they showed a slow motion. I, I don't. I think he lost the grip on it halfway through. Yeah, it was supposed <laughs> the, the to be down, motion. and he threw it up. And he said, "I was." Yeah, he threw up all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another story. But he said. Yeah, I got greedy. I was going for the strikeout. I so badly wanted a strikeout, and I loved his attitude. But he's got a. You know, he's he's the Buffalo's and was how how many times have we said this in the last couple of years? He's the Buffalo's latest first round pick who's dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Guys <laughs> two and oh and really I don't think he hasn't given up a run yet, right? And he has not. And- I think in uh, sixteen in uh, 
15 and two thirds innings. I think he's given up three hits and no runs and three walks. Yeah. And right. And we're seeing the fighters they're, they're again, looking at the victimology fighters would have been, this would have been the second time. And again, the fighters were, uh, the team that, uh, Sasaki pitched eight, uh, perfect innings against before he left the mound. Oh, correct. So they, they've dodged, they've been, they've been no hit once and they've dodged a couple of bullets. Right. So, uh, but uh, Imanaga did get them on the 11th. So, to review, Sasaki threw a no hitter on April 10th. On May 11th, now Higashihama of the Hawks threw one against the Lions on June 11th. So, about a month later, Shota Imanaga of the Bay Stars threw one against the Fighters. And then June 17th, Yoshinobu Yamamoto versus the Lions. So, this would have been the first time we had. Pitcher teammates throw no hitters in in, in one season, I think. Uh, um, <laughs> perhaps I, I, that I, I do I, not know, but it would have tied the record for no hitters in a single year. So, so, so that's that. So we just missed that. But I, again, I'm going on vacation later in August. Don't do the because I think the last time I went on vacation, uh, it was um, Yudai Ono of the Dragons who threw. <laughs> There are no hitters, so I'm expecting. I'll be gone for two weeks. So I'm expecting something to happen. But anyway, uh, so a little known, uh, a little known pitcher, Mukunoki, uh, gives up the hit to Dusei Sato, yes, the known hitter uh, of the Fighters, uh, who got that hit and broke up the no hitter with two strikes in the ninth inning. So fun stuff. Let's go to fielding questions. Pete in the Kansai area via Facebook says. Who are the dis- biggest disappointment players from NPB to MLB? And how about the other way, the biggest name who bombed here? So I, I put together a real short list. What did you, how long is your list, Jim? Well, the biggest player, the, the biggest players who bombed in Japan is a huge oh, wait, wait, list. Wait, 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 before you go, I, I just want to start from on my list. It, 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 it's only the guys who were playing from the time that I've been covering, which is 1995. Oh. I only the guys I've seen. Ooh. Because other guys I didn't see, so I I, I I can't. I mean, I could Ooh. say their names were big and their their numbers were big, but that's what I'm doing. So, what, where did you set your criteria? Ah, uh, well, I was thinking of forever, which makes the list impossible. I was thinking long. of forever. <laughs> that just sounds but, like but a the Japanese guys movie. is a short list, but the okay, the, all right, well, go ahead. Is a long list. My my Japanese list is is basically I have two guys who were actually pretty good, but they were disappointments because they were so good in Japan. Hmm. And they were not as good as other guys, as generally most guys are when they go over there. Okay, and, that, and those two guys were Kazuo Matsui, who actually was good, but it took him three years. Mm. <laughs> and Kosuke Fukudome, who was good. He just wasn't, you know, he was, his numbers were actually pretty good, but he was playing in a, in a, in a very high offensive environment. Yeah, you know, so... They were not that good. And then when he came back... Wait, wait, wait. He played in a high offensive environment in, in Chicago? In Chicago, oh, correct. Okay. That is correct. And Cleveland, yes. So his numbers, while you know they're good if you're playing in a, in a pitcher's park, they really weren't that good for Chicago. You know, They were good, but they weren't Kosuke Fukudome good. And then it was an MLB thing because a lot of the guys come back and they're banged up or this or that, you know, and they've, they're injured and they leave. But Fukudome came back and he picked up very close to where he left off five years earlier. (laughs) 
in Japan. He was, he was like, you know, it was almost like he went to America and he said like, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give it my, I know that's not the case. Cause he did, he did play well. He just didn't perform at the level that was kind of expected of, of that kind of star. And then when he came back to Japan, he just lit it up again. So yeah, that was kind of a disappointment. And those okay, well, let me let me do my Japanese guys, and and I okay. think we might stop this question and then do the other guys next week because we're kind of over time. But uh, for me, uh, Japanese player, I guess who was most disappointing in terms of what I saw here and what I thought he would be able to do in the states was Hideki Irabu, God rest his soul, mm. uh, with the Lotte Marines, and yeah. and I just thought he throws hard and. I think, you know, speed doesn't only thrill, speed kills. And I thought he was going to be able to work his magic over in the States. And it turns out he just didn't have enough in his arsenal to get major league batters out. And they were used to his speed. So uh, apparently he wasn't, he wasn't all that. And that, that, uh, that was too bad. Um, And I I know this is going to be, this is going to sound ridiculous, uh, but Daisuke Matsuzaka to me was good. I thought, longevity would have been his thing mm. that he was going to pitch over in the States and be a productive guy for a long time. And he did have a good season, won a world series with the team. He had two, he had two pretty good seasons and that, and then he had Tommy John. <laughs> and then he had Tommy John and then the the rest is, you know, mediocrity sort of, and he didn't do as well as I thought he was nope. going to do. Um, nope. So he's up there for me just in terms of, I mean, he was productive. He was good, but I thought he was going to be better. And I guess the last guy for me is Kei Igawa. Uh, now, I didn't think he was a great export. I, I, I thought, no. what are these people talking about? I don't see this. He uh, he pitched against the, the tour uh, with the major leaguers, and he, he, he was afraid to throw the ball over the plate. And I thought that was a, a very big key sign. And mm. then he went over there, and we just, you know, he was back before he could unpack his suitcase. I wasn't surprised. Uh, but I think a lot of people here were. And um, those are the, the the big guys for me since I've been covering some other guys like Shogo Akiyama. Really, not a disappointment for me because I, w- I wasn't really impressed with his collective abilities before he went over there. And the, the scouts I talked to said he was probably a fourth outfielder, and that's what he turned out to be. And he didn't. I, I would. I mean, you could argue that he didn't get much of a chance, but you could also argue that he didn't earn much of a chance to earn a chance. So. <laughs> Um, and another guy who kind of surprised me because I thought he was really good was Kensuke Tanaka, uh, former fighters infielder. And I thought yeah. he would at least be able to hit. And he wasn't able to do that. Same with Hiroyuki Nakajima. I thought those guys would be able to hit, but they weren't even able to hit. Yeah. And they ended up. Well, there's, back. there's one. Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you, there's two traits. And I, I'm not going to mention one of them because I don't want to get sued. But one of <laughs> them is being outgoing and being outgoing is really important when you're going into a new environment where you don't know anybody. (laughs) Right. And and you don't know, you know very little of the actual detail on the ground. I know this as a reporter because I, although I'm, I tend to be pretty much a loud mouth. I tend to be loud mouth with people I know and tend to clam up around people I don't know. And sometimes that costs me in lack of knowledge. And so Mm -hmm. when I saw K.E. Gawa, uh, who wanted to go to MLB and was posted after Dice Game on Suzaku. And I saw him standing up, sitting alone by himself before the MLB All-Star uh, welcome party. 
and looking like he didn't want to be around anybody and he didn't want to be there, I thought that's a bad sign. And Kensuke Tanaka was very much the same. He's a guy, he's a, he's a, he was a tremendous player, but he wasn't, he was never going to be the outgoing, personable person that has been the case of most of the people who've been successes. All right. Yet, I mean, I can see that being a personality trait that, that may, might help you transition over there. But for me, yeah, I think you you might remember this. I, I was never all that impressed with Fukudome. I, I, I liked what his production was, but I never thought it was all him. And I wasn't surprised that he didn't do very well because I didn't. Uh, I looked at the way he could not hit off-speed pitches sometimes that he like, not only couldn't hit him, he looked like he'd never seen them before. And I'm, I wasn't surprised that he struggled and ended up coming back. And I wasn't su- surprised that he came back and was able to deal with them over here in Japan mm. because he didn't have to gear up for that velocity so he could sit on some of those pitches and do better with them. But anyway. Yep. Yeah, interesting list. And we will get to the opposite, the MLB players who came over and did not do well who did not fare well here, even though we had high expectations for them and they had some ability and some of them even went back to the States and were productive over there. So we'll do that next week. Anyone else who has a question for us, hit us up on Twitter at JBW podcast with the hashtag high heat. You can send us questions and take your iPhone and just make a little recording and then shoot that over to us by email to Y-A-K-Y-U-J-O-H-N at gmail.com with your MP3 question you can also go to the facebook page and leave us a comment there look for us on google podcasts and itunes we will talk to you after the all-star game and after the first set of three game series over the weekend so we've got a lot of baseball coming up even though it's the all-star break enjoy your baseball see you at the ballparks follow the hosts on twitter at jbw podcast and at jball allen and feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag high heat. Thank you for listening to Japan Baseball Weekly.